Uh, today, our sermon Bible reading will be from Exodus chapter seven fourteen to chapter eight nineteen. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now that you have not listened, this is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials, and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace, but did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water, because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people, and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up onto the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. 
But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust on the ground, gnats came up on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Hi, Uni Church. My name is Mike. It'll be really great if you have Exodus 7 to 8 open in front of you. What would it take? What would it take to convince you that God is real? If you're not a Christian, what would it take? What event, what would need to happen for you to know that God was really real? Would you need some sort of really slick philosophical argument? Is that what you need? Uh, Would it be some kind of scientific evidence? Uh, Would it be some kind of personal miracle? Is that what you would need? What would it take for you to know that God is real? I actually have the same kind of question if you are already a Christian. Uh, What would it take for you to know that God is really, really real? What would it take for you to not just think that He is real, but actually know it? The kind of knowing that, that radically changes everything in your life, because you know that there's some sorts of knowledge that don't actually transform us, don't change our life. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, I know that eating too much cheese will give you a cholesterol problem. Uh, I know that. It doesn't actually change my life. I eat quite a lot of cheese. Uh, do you know what kind of knowledge will change that? It'll be the knowledge that I've just woken up in hospital having a heart attack because of high cholesterol or, or something like that. That's the kind of knowledge that would change me. If you're a Christian, what's the equivalent for you for your Christian life? What would it take to convince you that God is really, really real? The kind of knowing that God is real that radically changes everything about your life. Would it be some sort of slick philosophical argument? Would it be some kind of miracle? What do you need? Well, here's an interesting thought. What does God think that you need to know Him? What does God think that we need to really know that He is real? What's His opinion on that question? Well, actually, we just read God's opinion. We actually just read what God thinks we need to know that He is real. He says that the plagues that He poured out on Egypt are enough for the world to know that He is real. I wonder if you noticed that when we read it. Uh, God's purpose for the plagues is that the world might know Him. Last week, we saw Moses go up to Pharaoh and command him, let my people go. And Pharaoh responded with these words on screen. Pharaoh said, who's the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And so this week, as we get to the plagues, it's almost like God says, okay, well, I will make Pharaoh know me. I will get Pharaoh to know that I am real, that I am the Lord. And so God says to Moses, 
wait until morning and go up to Pharaoh while he's down the river and confront him and say to Pharaoh, well, have a look what God wants Moses to say to Pharaoh in chapter 7, verse 16. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. Now, look at the next bit. This is the reason for the plague. By this, you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed to blood. Do you see what's going on? Uh, Pharaoh has said, who's the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And now God says to Pharaoh, well, by this you will know I am the Lord. I will turn the Nile to blood. And you can kind of imagine Pharaoh laughing at Moses. And as Pharaoh, we might imagine, laughs, uh, uh, Moses says to Aaron, lift up the staff and strike the Nile and splash. And as Pharaoh laughs, these waves kind of ripple out from the shore, out into the Nile. But as those waves ripple out into the Blue Nile, the water behind it turns thick and red. And Pharaoh stops laughing and he looks in horror as those waves ripple out and slowly turns the rest of the Nile into blood. Have you ever smelt thousands of litres of blood? Pharaoh has. And you could imagine if he was laughing, it would stop. But before Pharaoh has a chance to admit that actually maybe the God of the Hebrews is real, his magicians run around, you might have noticed in the reading, and they gather water and they do the same kind of trick. They do the same kind of sign. Now, when you see the word magician, don't think the kind of guy that you might meet in a casino that does some card tricks. Uh, These guys are the priests of the Egyptian gods and using their dark arts, they turn some water into blood as well. And the result is... Pharaoh hardens his heart and he refuses to let Israel go because, well, if the priests of his gods can do the same kind of thing, well, then maybe Yahweh's not that special after all. And so Pharaoh refuses to let Israel go. Really bad move because it just escalates, doesn't it? God then says to Moses, go and confront Pharaoh again Tell him, let my people go or I will send upon you a plague of frogs all through Egypt. And that's what happens. He refuses to let them go. And so Moses and Aaron, they stretch their hands out over the Nile River to start a plague of frogs. Now this time, you can imagine Pharaoh's not laughing. You can kind of imagine Pharaoh looking very nervous. What will happen? And maybe it starts with 10 or 20 frogs crawling out, then there's a few hundred, and then there's thousands, then there's hundreds of thousands, and within a few hours, they are everywhere. They are in beds, they are in kitchens, they're in the street, they are in your pantry, they cover the land of Egypt. You cannot walk through Egypt without treading on frogs. Have you ever had that experience where every step you take, every move you make, you feel a squashing of a frog? Pharaoh has. Now, although Pharaoh's uh, um, magicians and priests can replicate that sign using their dark arts, what they can't do is actually make the frogs go away. Did you notice that in the reading? 
Uh, Pharaoh's priests, they can't actually get rid of the frogs. And so Pharaoh has to go to Moses and ask for Yahweh's help to do it. Pharaoh has to go to the people that he's been enslaving and ask their God to get rid of the frogs because his priests can't do it. Uh, Look at Pharaoh go up to Israel for help in chapter 8, verse 8. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I'll leave to you the honour of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses might be rid of frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, it will be as you say. Now look at the next bit. Again, here's the reason for the plague. So that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. So again, the purpose of the plague is that he might come to know God and he is starting to, right? Because he just went to Moses to ask for Yahweh's help with something that his own priests could not do. But as soon as God takes away the frogs, Pharaoh hardens his heart, he changes his mind and he does not let Israel go. Bad move. Because it escalates. God now says to Moses, take the staff and strike the dust of the ground. And all of the dust through Egypt, it turns into gnats, these little flying, biting things, like maybe mozzies or something like that. Now this time, for the first time, Pharaoh's priests, they can't actually replicate that sign. And they become the first people in Egypt to actually know something about this Hebrew God. They're starting to know that he is God. Have a look at chapter 8, verse 18. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Now we're only up to plague number three, but the priests of the Egyptian gods are started to know that Yahweh is real and he is active and that is the point of the plagues. The point of the plagues is that people would come to know God. Uh, Just look on screen, I want to show you something about all of the plagues. Uh, God introduces uh, the first plague where he turns the Nile into blood by saying, by this you will know I'm the Lord. Uh, Then comes the second plague, the plague of frogs, and God introduces that by saying, I will do this so that you will know there is none like me, and he removes the plague. You get to the third plague, the plague of gnats, And they're starting to know God. They say, this is the finger of God. The plagues are actually working. People are starting to know God. But Pharaoh, not so much. He's still not letting Israel go from slavery. And so the plagues keep building. Uh, Next is a plague of flies. And God says, so that you will know that I am the Lord and in this land, here comes a plague of flies. But every time the plague comes, uh, Pharaoh refuses to let Israel go and so the plagues keep building. The next plague targets the cattle, the cattle die. Then the next plague, sores break out on the Egyptians' bodies. Uh, Then there comes a hailstorm and God introduces that by saying, so that you will know there is no one like me in all the earth, I will send hail. 
And then a plague of locusts comes and eats uh, whatever crop survived the hailstorm. And you guessed it, God introduces that by saying, I will send a plague of locusts so that you may tell your children and your grandchildren that you may know that I am the Lord. It doesn't quite stop there. Pharaoh still doesn't let them go. And the ninth plague that we're looking at tonight is that the sun darkens. Uh, There's one more plague to go, but we'll look at that next week. But can you see, the purpose of the first nine plagues is so that people would know that God is real. And not just Pharaoh, not just Egypt, uh, not just Israel, but the entire world. Have a look at chapter 9, verse 16. In chapter 9, verse 16, God says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. The point of the nine plagues is that God might be known in all the earth. That that people might know that he is real. Now, the plagues do more than that. They don't just tell us that God is real. They actually also teach us something of what God is like. Uh, Firstly, the plagues teach Pharaoh that Yahweh is the one and only true God above every other so-called God. So, uh, you see those nine plagues on screen? Uh, Four of those plagues involve God controlling animals or elements that actually represented Egyptian gods. So, the first plague, God turns the river Nile into blood, right? Now, the Nile wasn't just a river, for the Egyptians. The Nile was actually controlled by and linked to their god, Happy. And every year when the Nile flooded and it brought rich silt for agriculture, uh, they put these little statues of Happy around uh, the river and they'd throw in offerings as a way of asking him to control the river to bring life. Now, Yahweh just showed his complete dominance over Happy. Uh, He turned the river to blood and there's nothing that their local god can seem to do about it. Now look at the next plague, it's a plague of frogs. The Egyptian fertility god, Hecate, uh, always appears in Egyptian art with the head of a frog. And yet Pharaoh's priests can't get Hecate, the one who has uh, frog-like qualities, to actually get rid of the frogs. Again, Yahweh just shows his complete dominance over an area of creation that the Egyptian gods were thought to control. In the fifth plague, God strikes the cattle. Hathor, you might have seen the Egyptian mother god, she's pictured as having a head of a cow. She is the one in Egyptian art who kind of has the the horns in her head. But in this plague, it's, it's only the Egyptians' cattle that die. Any cattle that belongs to Israel actually lives. Yahweh is so dominant over Hathor that Yahweh even causes just the Egyptian cattle to die, not the Israelites, and there is nothing that Hathor can seemingly do about it. Uh, But the best one is the last one on screen. Uh, The most widely worshipped and most popular and most powerful Egyptian god, you might know, was the god Ra, the sun god. Uh, He is the one who's pictured as having a head of a bird and in Egyptian art, often has the sun just above his head. Well, did you notice that in the ninth plague, God turns off the sun? If you read the narrative, and I hope you do later, it describes Egypt as being so dark that the the darkness could actually be felt. Now, imagine what that feels like if you're an Egyptian. Imagine being an Egyptian and worshipping the god Ra, the, the sun god, 
But Yahweh, the God of the people that you've been enslaving for several hundred years, just extinguished your most powerful God. What would it feel like to have your most powerful God snuffed out, like somebody snuffs out the candle on a two-year-old's birthday cake? God just did that to their most powerful and popular God. And imagine just stumbling around in the dark and you get out onto the streets, but then you notice this massive shaft of light coming out of the sky and going down and lighting up the area that the Israelites live just down in the valley. Because that's what happens. If you read the narrative, Egypt is dark, but not the area where Israel lives. They have light. Yahweh so manipulates their most powerful and popular God that he forces him to give light to the Israelites, but darkness to the Egyptians. Now, if you were an Egyptian, how would that make you feel? What kind of thoughts would go through your head? Would you start to think, oh, maybe, maybe their God, maybe Yahweh is more powerful, is bigger, is the one true and real God? Now, not every plague in the, in the nine plagues corresponds to a local Egyptian God, but I think you can see what God is doing. It's almost like God is trolling Pharaoh uh, by unleashing plagues that correspond to areas of creation that their local gods were supposed to control. It is a vivid and shocking way of saying, I am the real God, not Ra, not Hecate, but me, Yahweh. God gives the plagues to Pharaoh that Pharaoh might know, that he might know that there is the one true God, Yahweh, who is above all other so-called gods. Uh, But that's not all that Pharaoh comes to know about this Yahweh. The second thing that Pharaoh comes to know about him is that he is the God of all creation. Because it's not just the Egyptian gods that he seems to manipulate. He also manipulates all of creation. Firstly, did you notice, he controls the elements. He controls water. He just turned it to blood. He controls the earth. He struck the ground and it turned into gnats. Uh, he controls the air. He causes wind to blow in locusts. He brings hailstorms. He controls the elements, water, air, earth. He also controls the creatures, frogs, cattle, locusts, And here's where it gets frightening for Pharaoh. He also controls humans. Uh, Firstly, in Plague 6, boils break out on the skin of the Egyptians and not on any Israelite. But secondly, and more frighteningly for Pharaoh, he also controls human hearts. You know, sometimes we read that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Other times we read that God hardens Pharaoh's heart, that even God is in control of that. Now, we don't have time tonight to plumb the depths of uh, how God controls Pharaoh's heart. And so, actually, before Jeff went on leave, he wrote an article about God and Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Um, I'm not sure. It doesn't seem to be printed over there, but we'll make sure that it gets into your pigeon uh, this week. You can read that later. But what we want you to notice tonight is that Pharaoh has uh, control over all of creation, the elements, the creatures, even people and their hearts. Pharaoh has just come face to face with the God of all of creation. And the plagues come that he might know, 
that he might know that Yahweh is above all other gods and that Yahweh is the God of all creation. Last week, we saw Pharaoh sarcastically say, I am not letting Israel go, I don't know the Lord. And so this week, we see the Lord saying, I will turn this river to blood so that you will know me. I will bring the frog so that you will know me. I will bring the flies so that you will know that I am in the land. I will bring the hail so that you know there is no one like me. I will bring the locust so that your children will know that there is no one like me. And slowly, people in Egypt are starting to know. It started with the magicians who said, this is the finger of God. But by the time you get to the plague of the hail, Moses announces that God is sending a plague of hail and half of Pharaoh's staff runs home and starts getting all their stuff inside because they have started to know that Yahweh is real and that Yahweh is active. As the plagues roll on, more and more people start to know that he is real, which is why, that's why there's multiple plagues. God is building up his case to show Pharaoh and the world that he is real. There's not multiple plagues because God is having trouble overcoming Pharaoh. It's not like a boxing match, a boxing match between two fighters who are pretty evenly matched and it goes to nine rounds because they're having trouble, you know, knocking each other out. God could have knocked out Pharaoh with one blow. Just have a look at chapter 9, verse 15. God says in chapter 9, 15, For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I've raised you up for this purpose, that I might show you my power and my name be proclaimed in all the earth. In other words, it's actually far too simple to just say that the plagues are about rescuing Israel. If it was, God could have just done it in one plague, just wiped Israel, uh, wiped Egypt out, and rescued Israel. But there's multiple plagues because the plagues are about making God known to Egypt and the world. They're about making him known, which is why if you read from chapter 7 to chapter 10, the nine plagues, you'll notice that quite often they're called signs, not plagues. I mean, we call them plagues and there's Sometimes they get called plagues in the Bible, but actually they're called signs if you read from chapter 7 to 10. Now, signs, signs function to make things known. On the way here, on the freeway, I went past a sign that said 100. It made it known that I had to adjust my speed limit. It made it known what the speed limit was. That's what signs do. And God performs these nine signs to make it known to Pharaoh, to Egypt, to Israel and the world that he is real. If you're not a Christian, what would God need to do to convince you that he is real? If you are already a Christian, what would God need to do to make you believe it so that it became the defining truth in your life? What would God need to do to make you know that he was really real? Well, God's answer to that is he's already done it in Egypt. The plagues or the signs are enough. But are they enough for you personally? Uh, Do you have a different opinion to God on this? Uh, Do you say to God, oh, actually, God, you're kind of wrong. It's actually not enough for me to know that you're real. If you have a difference of opinion with God on this subject, I'm wondering, how do you expect God to respond? Uh, Do you think God is going to get angry? 
what do you think God would do? Surprisingly, God is amazingly generous at this point. Surprisingly, in His kindness, God actually ends up giving you more signs than what was necessary in Egypt. Because 1,500 years after these signs in Egypt, God does it all again so that we might know Him. God once more gives this world signs that we might know. Because 1,500 years after Exodus, God comes again to rescue His people from slavery again, and again He does all those kind of signs. You know who I'm talking about, right? God comes again to rescue His people from slavery in Jesus... And just like the rescue in Exodus, God gives signs that people might know Him. Jesus drives out demons, He controls creation, He walks on water, He shows His authority over humans by healing diseases and seeing into people's hearts. And in John's Gospel, John calls them signs. The same word that Exodus uses here to refer to the plagues. I just want to show you actually on screen, uh, in talking about Jesus' miracles, this is what John says, from John's Gospel, Jesus performed many other signs, so same word as Exodus uses for the plagues, in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, meaning Jesus did even more signs than what John has written down. Uh, Look at this next bit. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Can you see that the purpose of Jesus' signs are the same as the purpose for the signs in Exodus? Jesus' signs have been recorded in John's Gospel so that you would know that He is the Messiah, that you would believe that, and by believing that, have eternal life through knowing God. Let me just take that concept and try and just put it in a diagram. So, in Exodus... Pharaoh does not know God and then God acts in world history, on the world stage, so that Pharaoh might see the signs and actually know. All those signs are so that Pharaoh and the world might come to know God. And 1,500 years later in the Gospels, it actually all happens again. Jesus comes to rescue people and He does signs that we might know Him. He walks on water. He turns water into wine. He raises dead people. He multiplies bread and he multiplies fish to feed 5,000 people. He heals people with leprosy and skin disease. He controls the weather and he calms a storm. He gives sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, mobility to the paralysed. And at his death, the sun darkens and then three days later, he rises to life again. And the Gospels record those things and say, they are signs. Signs given that we might know Jesus and that we might know God. In Exodus, God gave the world signs that Pharaoh and Israel and the world might know that he is real. And God's opinion in chapter 9 was that that's actually enough for his name to be praised throughout the world. But in his kindness, he gives us even more than that, that we might know him. He gives us the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He is the ultimate sign so that the world might never be able to say to God, you didn't give us enough. If you're not a Christian, it's great that you are here investigating Jesus. It is wonderful to have you here. But what do you feel like you actually need to know that God is real? 
Is it a philosophical argument? Is it a scientific or miraculous proof? Now, those things might have their place, but I want you to know that in God's mind, He's actually given you enough to know the truth of Him. In God's mind, He's actually given you enough to make a decision. You know, last year I spoke at an event uh, where I had to talk about uh, the evidence for Jesus and the reliability of the Bible. Do you know how much evidence there is for Jesus? Even if you just discount the Bible, there's, there's more than enough for you to know about him. There's Roman historians, there's archaeology. If you just look, next week, just go to the Reed Library. It's Reed Library here, right? Ah, oh, good. Just go to the Reed Library, go to the ancient history section in the library and look up Jesus because he'll be there. The Jesus event happened in world history on a world stage and it's left its mark that people might know. But most importantly, better than the stuff that you have in the Reed Library is the stuff that you have in the Gospels, which record his life and death and resurrection that we might know. So if you've been exploring Christianity for a while, that's wonderful. But I really want you to know you actually have enough. You have enough that we might know. On the other hand, if you're already a Christian, but God isn't the centre and purpose of your life, if you're holding back from living for God all out because you think, man, I don't want to invest too much in this Christianity thing. I mean, what if I get to the end of my life and I work out He's not real? What then? Well, God wants you to know that He's given you everything you need to know that He is real so that none of us are without excuse. We have the plagues that were poured out in Egypt so that the world might know his power and praise his name. But more than that, we have the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus so the world might know that he is real. Thank God that we do have enough to know that he is real. Amen.